Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. You know, my guest this hour is Dr. Glenn Pickering, and I know many of you love Glenn. And, you know, one of the things I love about Glenn is everything he says, he makes it sound pretty simple, <laughs> which I really appreciate because he kind of breaks it down and he makes it very digestible, and, and you can kind of get it in these bite sized um, tastes. But then all of a sudden you think, is it really as easy to do as he's suggesting? Because uh, I think he gets that quite often from clients that say, it's not that easy, Glenn. <laughs> I so know. we're going to talk about that today. Glenn Pickering is my guest. He is uh, with me today, and I'm glad to have him uh, here with in, me in studio. And Glenn, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I always love being here. Yeah. So I know you get that often. It's not that easy, Glenn. I know. And it's and sometimes my clients say it, or you, know, you were saying that after our last show, thanks a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I think when people say, Glenn, it's not that easy, I think, I know. It is that simple, but it's not that easy. Here's the difference. Okay, now, what's the difference? Well, all the fundamental truths that we know, all the things we absolutely know for certain are super simple. We can say them in one sentence or less, mostly with eight words or fewer, mostly with two syllables or less. Love your neighbor. Couldn't get simpler than that. Now, you notice when Jesus says that that's one of the greatest two of the two commandments, that right away the Pharisees start asking questions because they're hoping when they ask their question, who is your neighbor? They're hoping to get a really complicated answer. The 42 people who live within two blocks of where you live, who go to your same school, the <laughs> mm-hmm. same synagogue, wear the same clothes, who are basically clones of you, who agree with everything you think. Those 42 people. Oh, great. Thank goodness. I thought it was going to be hard. <laughs> but Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. And he tells a story, Luke 11, of the Good Samaritan, or Luke 10, and, um, and we think, oh, that's a sweet little story. And I think, no, it's not. It's a shocking story. People that Jesus were talking to hated the Samaritans. And I don't mean they disliked them. I don't mean they disagreed with them. They hated them. They literally couldn't say their name out loud. So even at the end of the Good Samaritan story, when Jesus said, so who is the neighbor the person who responded couldn't actually say the words, the Samaritan, because they hated them so bad. So they said, the one who did mercy, because <laughs> mm-hmm. they couldn't say their name, because <laughs> they're such enemies. And Jesus tells a story, I tell you to love your neighbor. Who is that? Everybody. Oh, golly. Now, it doesn't get much simple. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't get simple. any simpler than that. And point, it doesn't get any more challenging than that. I mean, that's yeah. not easy. But it's super clear. Who yeah. am I supposed to love? Everybody you will ever meet, including the people that drive you crazy, whose name you can't even say. <laughs> oh, That's super simple. Yeah, but we're complicated, Glenn. Oh, man. Oh, we wish we're life so was. I know. We wish it was. We, so, we wish it was what? We wish it was complicated. Honestly, I've heard so many Christians make a mistake sort of like this. I mean, the scripture says over and over and over again, 
about God's steadfast love. This is a love that never changes. It is absolutely, utterly unconditional. There's nothing you can do to have him love you more. There's nothing you can do to have him love you less. And yet, how many Christians have I heard say, well, maybe God is punishing you for this behavior? <laughs> the disciples asked Jesus the same question about the blind guy. Well, was he born blind because his parents did something wrong? And Jesus is like, no, that's not it. <laughs> that's silly. This is a chance to show God's glory right here. We're going to do something amazing. That's what this is about. Not figuring out whose fault is it, for goodness sakes. But, so we want to make it complicated, but it's just not. God loves you all the time, period. That's the end of that sentence. And we are called to live lives that are worthy of that all the time. Oh, my goodness. Couldn't get simpler. Couldn't get harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's super challenging. Yeah. So the yeah, things I is. teach people are simple. So, for example, well, let me say a couple of other things about that. The reason they're challenging is because the simple things in life, who is your neighbor? Everybody. What should I do if my wife says something harsh to me? The same thing you would do if she said something loving. Slow down, pause, say something loving back. Couldn't get simpler, couldn't get more clear. Couldn't possibly be more challenging. And here's how come. If we're supposed to do that really, really simple but very challenging thing, the reason it's challenging is it will bring us right up against whatever fear has kept us stuck where we are already, every time. And when people talk about spiritual warfare, this is actually what they mean. When God calls me to step out of my comfort zone, take a step forward from where I am, I think, oh, great, I want to do that. I'm inspired, and I will immediately start experiencing the fears that have kept me stuck where I am. And, and that will happen every single time, which is why it is simple, but it's not easy, because it will require that we face our fears whatever they are, they've kept us stuck so far. It's a, it's a really good truism we should just have in the back of our head all the time. Simple doesn't mean easy. No. In fact, it will probably be super challenging. Some, yeah. I gave a talk somewhere a while back, and somebody said, well, Glenn, do you find this scripture is comforting? And I said, mostly I find them really challenging. <laughs> oh, golly, that's going to be really hard. Yeah. Because it's so simple. Oh, golly. Now, so for example, you asked me on the show a while back, you know, you're talking to people about how, you know, I'm an engineer, a Methodist minister, a psychologist, blah, blah, blah. And you asked me, what was my greatest achievement? And I said, not sarcastically, although people might have thought I was being silly, that every day I get up, I say my prayers, I get dressed, I get ready to go to work, and I leave the house. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of people know that, um, you know, I'm autistic, so socially awkward, I had a twisted spine all the way from when I was born, so I walked bent over. I was practically blind. I had really thick Coke bottle glasses. And so you can imagine what happened to me every day at elementary school. I got bullied. I got teased. I got pushed around. I got made fun of. And I got ignored. A lot of ignored. And so my brain is very clear that it's not safe to leave the house. Bad stuff's going to happen to you. And my brain is utterly convinced that that's true. And when I tell myself I'm not only supposed to leave the house, I'm supposed to leave the house so I can go make a difference in the world, my brain thinks, Glenn, that's stupid. Nobody gives a rip. You know how it is. So I literally have to face that really fundamental fear every day just to go out of my house and do the thing I know that I'm called to do. And I don't say that because of poor Glenn. I promise you every single one of us has something just like that. Hmm. 
So that's a recurring thought on a daily basis. Yep. Wow. Yep. I, um, I was talking to a Hebrew scholar the other day. Fascinating, man. I love that guy. And we're talking about the book of Job, which I always used to think was the weirdest book in the Bible. But now I think, man, it's really interesting. And he was talking about how the word we translate Satan from that book is actually more perfectly translated from Hebrew as the accuser. And my friend is saying, but not actually as a noun, more as like um, the process of being accused or accusing. And I think, right, that accusing voice that runs in the back of our head all the time that says those things to us, that's where spiritual warfare takes place, right there. We have, all of us have that accusing voice in the back of our head. Now, you might think, well, Glenn, the things you said are not about yourself and not accusations of yourself. They're things you think about the world that, you know, people are just going to be mean to you. It's not worth that. They're not going to listen, blah, blah, blah. Those might all sound like thoughts I have about the world, but those are all actually accusings of me. Glenn, you're too little. You're not going to be able to handle it. You're going to be overwhelmed. You can't take it. And you think you have a message that's worth giving? Give me a break. Nobody cares about what you have to say. And that accusing voice in the back of our head is always accusing us in a way that if we listen to it, will shut us down altogether. Which is why those simple things are so challenging. Yeah. So, Glenn, I want to say that if if these simple fundamental truths are challenging, it's going to take practice for them to be a new way of thinking or a practice for them to become natural for us, right? Absolutely. In fact, I'm thinking we're heading into break time pretty soon. Is that true? We so are. we're going to go be there in about a minute. Okay, cool. So I'll just say uh, something that sort of set us up for that, and then we'll come back to it. I do think people often say to me, well, Glenn, once I practice this enough, then I won't have that voice in me, right? And I think, yeah, that's not how the world works. What happens is not that we no longer have the accusing going on in the back of our head. What happens is we get better and better at hearing the accusing, knowing it's a lie, and replacing it with one of God's truths. That's what we need to practice. Because some of us think, well, if only I was more mature, I wouldn't have that problem, right? And I think, no, mature just means I get better and better at recognizing it, humble enough to actually understand I will always hear that voice in the back of my head and strong enough to do something else. Hmm. All right, I'm going to chew on that over the break. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. You can go to glennpickering.com, learn all about Glenn and his uh, books and also, about midway down the page, he has this lovely offer. If you'd like to connect with him and have a 20-minute phone conversation free of charge, you can do that. Fill out a form. There's no uh, obligation strings attached. He's just going to have a chat with you. And I know Glenn well enough to know in 20 minutes, you can get a lot out of Glenn 20 minutes. Trust me. And we're going to um, also, he's got on his webpage, up at the top, is says media. And if you click on the media button, you can go right to the outline that he has created for this discussion today, if you want to see it yourself. It's uh, KTIS June 24. Take a short break and we'll be right back.
I'm back with Dr. Glenn Pickering. We're talking about life's fundamental truths. They are simple. They're not necessarily easy, but they are simple. We're learning all about uh, this today with Dr. Glenn Pickering. You can go to glennpickering.com. He's also got a outline of today's talk. You can go download it under the media section. Glenn, let's get back to how we change um, and, and develop a way for these truths and these fundamental truths to become natural for us. Thanks. Um, if, I don't know if natural is right, but um, smoother at least is probably smoother. I like I like yeah. smoother more than natural. All right, cool. I like that yeah, too. Let's kick let's let's kick that word natural to the curb. Let's, let's stick with smoother. Let's just make stuff up as we go along. That's what I like. I, I'm all, all right. for that. You all know right. me. So um, I always think to myself, you know, the three best ways to get better at something are, you know, practice, practice, and more practice. So um, sometimes people who know I'm autistic and used to just even struggle having a conversation with people said, "Well, Glenn, how did you get like you are now?" And I think they expect to hear, well, there's this one day, I had this amazing experience, but it's not true. I have, in my years, put myself in places where I had to be social, had to connect, had to reach out, had to teach, had to be more vulnerable, roughly 10,000 times. And I've gotten somewhat better at that. (laughs) So I just think if we really want to get better and better at overriding the accusing voice in the back of our head, we need to understand we're going to take practice. And I say that not to be discouraging, but to be encouraging. Because sometimes people try it a few times. They're trying to really give each thought over to Christ. After just a few times, they notice they're still struggling really bad. And then they sort of, that accusing voice starts saying, you'll never get it. You're not making any progress. And we just are right back to the accusing, which is paralyzing. So I want to say to people, you will get a little teeny bit better at this every single time that you practice. You won't do it right every time. But you'll mm-hmm. get better at it every time. You get stronger at it every time. You get smarter. A little teeny bit every single time. And so yeah. instead of judging yourself whether you've done it right or not after the first four or five times of trying, I say, you know, give it 60 days. Practice at least a few times every day. I promise you will notice you're getting way better. Not perfect, but way better. Yeah. So I just so, want people to be gracious with themselves, like graceful. I like that. So let's talk about the plan and the outline and the blueprint. Great. All right. I love it. Um, I always think if I want to practice something differently, doing it randomly differently is not actually very helpful to me. So if somebody's teaching me basketball and they say, okay, Glenn, we're going to start with the layups, but I shoot it differently every time. See, I haven't actually had 100 shots of practice. I've had one time of practice from 100 different ways, and I won't know any more after that than I would if I just practiced one. So I have to practice as consistently as I can for that practice to actually make a difference. Um, And... One, so I have to have sort of a plan in the back of my head in order for that practice to be effective. But I also have to have a plan in the back of my head for this reason. Because when the time comes for us to practice our different behavior, we're probably being triggered at that time, by which I mean we're sort of elevated, we've got some adrenaline pumping through our system because there's a conflict or a disagreement or something that gets us triggered into that um, sort of elevated state. And what we know about that biologically is that as soon as there's adrenaline flowing in my system, the blood flow to my prefrontal cortex pretty much stops. And since that's the part of our brain that does everything that we would call thinking, what that means is as soon as there's adrenaline in my system, I'm really not thinking. So if I'm in a conflict with a friend, a coworker, or a kid, which I want to talk about parenting in just a few minutes, and it gets a little bit heated, I need to understand the adrenaline just kicked in, and I'm going to not know what to do because I'm not thinking. 
So I want to have a plan. So even when I feel elevated, I still know what to do because I'm not going to decide what to do then. I've already decided what I'm going to do then. That's the way to actually practice. So I have to have a plan because I want to do it the same every time so I get better at it. And I want to have a plan because at that moment, I won't be able to come up with a plan because my brain is literally not thinking. So if I wait for me and my kid to be in a conflict and then think, okay, what should I do? Well, I don't have a prayer coming up with the right answer to that. My brain is barely thinking at all. So I'm not going to be able to come up with a plan. I have to have a plan ahead of time so I practice the same way every time and so that I don't just freeze up because of all that adrenaline making my brain not work quite right. So, so I just think if I want to override that accusing voice, slow down, pick the response that I actually want to pick from a godly perspective, then I have to have kind of a plan in the back of my head about how I'm going to do that. And I have to do the plan pretty darn consistently. So, Glenn, are you saying that when you get in that adrenaline-flooded state, your mind still can recall what the plan is when you realize you're in that state? Right, because at that moment, I'm not actually thinking. I'm just remembering. It's not the same thing. My memory still works. It's just my thinking doesn't. Right. So what would you suggest to have ready to go when you're in that adrenaline-flooded state that you can remember to do? What is it that you should remember to do? We're going to come right back to that, so I promise you. (laughs) Hold on, gang. Um, So just move on a couple things out here because I just want to kind of remind our listeners of where we were last time. I was talking about parenting, and I said Mm -hmm. um, the three mistakes we make are, um, one, we have answers for which there's no question. Again, this is a knee-jerk, non-thinking answer that we're likely to do when our brain literally is not functioning right. So whether it's my 8-year-old coming home and saying, Oh, Dad, I flunked my spelling test. Well, from now on, you have to... And the kid looks at me like, What? I wasn't asking that question. So you're answering a question I didn't ask. I see people doing this with their adult children all the time when the kids will say, Yeah... Um, we thought we put the house on the market, but it didn't sell for a couple of weeks, so we're still kind of trying to pray and think about what to do. Well, how many times have I told you? Next time you have to, oh, golly, this is a question nobody's asking. It's so, it is literally a non-thinking, mindless, knee-jerk answer to want to give an answer to a question that nobody's asking. So, especially if we're talking to our kids, it's true for you, it's true for no matter who, but especially if we're talking to our kids, we need to understand so I say to people, this one thing that's really simple but not easy, when your kid is struggling with anything, especially if the thing they're struggling with is you, <laughs> you need to make sure, step one, that you avoid giving answers for which there's no question. Now, I heard people earlier talking about how we don't really have free will, but I would perfectly disagree with that, and here's how come. The reason we have such a strong reaction when people tell us what to do is we feel intensely that they're literally taking away our free will. And we have a powerful reaction to that. Not even God will take away our free will, which is why Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. Why when blind Bartimaeus is standing in front of Jesus, Jesus says, what do you want? And I always think that story's crazy funny. I mean, here's blind begging Bartimaeus standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want? <laughs> but see, until Bartimaeus says, I want just my sight. Then Jesus said, great, done. Because until we ask, God doesn't take action. Not because he's being punitive, not because he's being mean, because he won't violate our free will. So um, so when you say to a kid, adult kid or young kid, doesn't matter, they give them an answer for which there's no question. You're going to see them look down, like they're just disengaged from the conversation. 
And then they're either going to defend themselves or they're going to lash out or they're going to shut down and eventually leave the room. In other words, they will no longer be in that interaction. And again, people could say, oh, Glenn, it's easier to say, don't give them answers when nobody's asking, but that's hard. I think, yeah, of course it's hard. <laughs> that's, that's what I say. I know. This is you having to override all those reactions. Now, here's why that's actually the accusing, although it might not look like it. What really happens is my kid comes home and says I did really bad in school. And I immediately, because we're all so self-centered, think I did something wrong. I was a bad parent. I should have made them study better. What's wrong? My kid is failing. I'm a terrible parent. (laughs) And the accusing just starts going in the back of our head. And because the accusing is happening, then we start lashing out, saying stupid things like, well, from now on, you have to. Because we're trying to react to that accusing voice that tells us that we messed up really bad which triggers all those sort of unthinking responses. So, again, I hear the accusing voice in the back of my head telling me I'm a failure as a parent. I have to slow down, ask God's help. Remember, I don't want to go there. And then the second thing I was talking about last time is about that we, we're often talking where we should be listening. So if I'm really listening to a godly voice and I have a plan, then when I hear that knee-jerk wanting to tell my kid what to do, I slow down I stop and I ask a question. Really? What happened? Instead of what I would normally do in my knee-jerk way. So again, remember, and I was going to replace the accusing lie with God's truth. And the accusing lie says I'm a failure as a parent. God's truth said I love my child and I do want nothing but good for them. So then I say, well, honey, what happened? Because I love my kid and I want good for them. That's what's actually true. So um, so we'll talk about that more in a minute. And then finally I said when we were together last time about how, and we tend to ask questions that are not real questions. Well, honey, don't you think that you should? Well, that's not a question. So, um, so we need to understand that there, we can ask real questions or be quiet, but both of those, again, require that I overcome that accusing voice in the back of my head that I have to take control, I have to fix this, this isn't going to go right unless I step in and instead slow down and do the things we'll talk about when we come back from break. All right. Dr. Glenn Pickering is our guest. You can go to glennpickering.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G. There's a lovely offer about midway down the page where you can have a free 20-minute conversation with them. Just fill out the form and send it on over and he'll arrange a time for you to get, for you two to have a nice conversation. Let me know if you have any questions or anything that you've heard us say that you'd like some clarification on. We're always happy to do that. 877-933-2484. Be back in just a minute with Dr. Glenn Pickering.
If you are just joining us, I have missed you this last half hour. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. We're talking about that all of life's fundamental truths are simple, but simple doesn't mean easy. So that is the topic of the conversation today. And uh, Glenn, I think you're you're really um, nailing some of these points where you talk about things like we give answers for which there was no question. Right. And when you were giving that illustration, I know Rosie and I were going, yep, been there, done that. <laughs> yep, we all have been. And talking when we should be listening. Right. I think we're all guilty of that as well. Yeah, we all think, oh, let me share my opinion. And the other person looks at us like, I was in the middle of that story. I didn't even tell you why <laughs> I had that opinion. And you want to jump in and tell me yours. I can tell you actually weren't listening. So yeah. if I'm sitting there formulating my response... I can be sure I'm not actually listening. Absolutely. Right. It's like so, we, we carry on parallel monologues. I'm honestly, just waiting for you to stop talking so, so I can start talking. Right, and say the stuff that's really important. Yeah, that's... Just kind of like what we're, do, what we're doing now. <laughs> My stuff really matters. Okay, so... Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about some, some, great, some, some examples of simple things that are hard to do. Okay, cool. So, um, well, for example... Um, I really, really believe in my whole heart that I'm called to treat my wife at every single moment with love and care and that every single situation, no matter what, is a situation for us to make our marriage better or worse. And I would always want to choose better. Okay. Simple. Of course you would. Mm-hmm. And even when people say, well, you know, I've got to have my priorities, God first, you know, my wife second or whatever. I think, yes, even that misunderstands it. Because if you realize from the scriptures where it says God is love, and then Paul in Colossians 3 wrestles with that and finally says love is that which binds together all living things. So God is the love that connects me to my wife. So to say, well, I want to honor God and I want to honor my relationship with my my wife is like, yeah, see, that shows a fundamental misunderstanding. That's why 1 John 4, 17 says anybody who says he loves God but hates his brother or sister is a liar and the truth is not in us. And again, like you've heard me say before, I used to think, man, that's a harsh sentence. But now I get, John is just trying to help us understand. God is the love that connects us to one another. So if I say I love God, but I disrespect the connection between us, I'm literally denying the God that connects me to you. So or anyway, so um, so to say, well, I should honor God and I should honor my wife is like, yeah, you don't quite get that. God is the connection between you and your wife. Okay, so I always want to honor that. Simple, simple, simple. I should always honor the connection between me and my wife, because that's a godly connection. Perfect. Okay. So, two days ago, I was really tired, really worn out, which means my brain's not working very well. And my wife said something sort of offhanded to me in kind of a harsh tone. And I could literally feel in me those kind of responses we've been talking about. That I want to shut down, I want to lash out, or I want to get all defensive, or I want to punish she's not perfect either, you know. <laughs> and all those accusing voices that run in the back of our head. They accuse me, they accuse you. And I was so clear at that moment that I had to decide just what we've been talking about. And because I've already practiced it and I already have a picture in my head of what it looked like to decide at that time, I was able to say, um, that felt kind of harsh to me. That hurt my feelings. Now, my wife and I have practiced situations like that many, many times because we just really get, when that happens, we get triggered we can get defensive, we might shut down, we might lash out, but all of those are the accuser. They're accusing me of being a bad husband, they're accusing her of being a bad wife, 
And if I give in to any of those responses, I'm agreeing with the accuser, that voice that runs in the back of our head. And I want to respond in a godly way. And so, again, luckily, because my brain's not working right, well right then because I'm tired and because I've got adrenaline going, so our brain doesn't work as well then, as I said. But I know what I'm going to say. I'm just going to say some short sentence that starts with the word I that describes what happened inside of me, and then I'm going to stop talking. Honey, that felt sort of harsh to me. Stop. One sentence about what happened to me, and then I'm going to quit. And because I already have that plan, I was able to do it at that time. And people say, oh, Glenn, you're like Christ, blah, blah, blah. And I think, I'm no more like Christ than you are. (laughs) But I have a real clear blueprint of what I'm going to do then, and I practice it a whole bunch of times. So when it comes up, I just kind of know what to do. I still have that same voice. I still have all the same knee-jerk reactions. I've just gotten better and better at knowing, yes, but there's a godly alternative to that, and I want to pick that alternative. So how does the interaction proceed from there? Um, then she stomped out of the room and slammed the door. I haven't seen her since. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so anyway, she said, because, you know, she has her own smart plan, she said, well, what happened? I said, well, something about the way you said it made me feel sort of like I was being put down. And she said, you know, I'm sorry for anything I said that made you sound like I was putting you down. I said, thanks, hon. And we went on with what we we're doing. Because we understand. When somebody tells us, hey, that was hurtful to me, we're going to say, hey, I'm glad you could tell me. We say that sentence every single time, pretty much. I'm glad you could tell me. Not I'm glad to, glad to hear it, because I'm not glad to hear it. <laughs> but I am glad she could tell me, because I get the alternative of stonewall silence. That's not helpful. So I'm glad you could tell me what happened exactly. The other person's going to say in one or two sentences what happened, and the other one's going to listen carefully and then apologize for whatever hurtful impact they had on that other person. And we're going to say, thank you very much, honey, and we're going to move on. And we have that plan in the back of our head, just like I'm going to talk about a plan for your kids in just a second. And because we have that plan and because we practice the plan just that way so often, it doesn't come naturally because I still had the accusing voice in the back of my head. But I know now better and better and better what to do when I hear that voice. I know how to override that voice. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to the kids now. All right, so... Um, because it's better to practice and because it's better to have a clear plan, and it's even better if that plan has an acronym because that makes it easier to remember, I came up with EQUIP. Well, that's not actually true. I literally heard this in my voice from God. So, okay, so God should get some credit. So, um, EQUIP. So, E-Q-U-I-P. So, if a kid comes to me with a struggle or a happy time, doesn't matter. Hey, Dad, I flunked my math test. Hey, Dad, I did great on my math test. Hey, Dad, we're thinking of selling our house and moving to North Dakota. Okay, so, um, no matter what. I'm going to do equip. Number one, E, empathy. A simple statement about your feeling. See, people always try and say, well, I need to understand my kid's feeling. Let them know how. It's like, no, no, no. There's no guesswork here. My kid says, oh, I failed my test. Oh, I'm bummed out. Oh, Dad, I did so great. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Oh, Dad, we're moving to North Dakota. <laughs> well, I'm excited for you to have possibilities, so of course I'll miss you like crazy. I'm just going to say some sentence that's true for me that shows empathy, like I'm tracking with you on an emotional level. One sentence. Dad, I flunked mm-hmm. my math test. Oh, bummer. Second, I'm going to ask a question, a real question, not the kind of question we were talking about before, which is just a pretend question. But don't you think that you should? No, not like that. A real question. Hey, Dad, I did really bad on my math test. Oh, bummer. What happened? Notice, I'm just going to ask the simplest possible question I can. So I'm going to ask a question instead of telling people what to do. 
I'm going to ask a question. And it doesn't have to be clever. In fact, the more I think it has to be clever, the more I'll be paralyzed because I don't know what to do. So remember, part of having a blueprint is mostly I don't have to think. <laughs> so equip, oh, bummer. What happened? I can, I can do that every time. <laughs> I don't have to think very hard. I have real questions, so then they can tell me, well, I thought I was going to do really good. I studied really hard, but then I got all confused when I got to the test and I mixed up a couple words. Oh. Okay. So now we're having a great conversation. I haven't said much. I just said bummer, and I asked a simple question. Now, here's the guideline to making sure we're asking a question that's a real question and not just a pretend attempt to tell somebody what to do. I'm asking a real question if I'm seeking understanding. I just want to understand better what you just told me. If I'm doing anything except that, I don't have the right to ask that question. Now, here's why that's so incredibly important. Because all these things are true for all of our other relationships as well. So I always think to myself, when Jesus said the goal of marriage is that the two shall become as one, I think, right. So the goal is not for me and going to turn into clones. But the goal is, if we're in our 80s, sitting in a rocking chair looking out of the water, I should be able to think to myself, I know you almost as well as I know my own self. Not that I agree or that we're the same. I just get you. Okay. So we need to ask questions that make it clear. I'm just trying to get you. Trying to understand what you meant by the thing you just said. Oh, Dad, I did so bad. Oh, what happened? Because they might mean so bad I got one wrong and I thought I was going to get them all right. I don't know what it means. I'm just going to ask a question. Mm -hmm. I got them all wrong. I got confused. Okay. Okay. Now, so empathy, question, and then understanding you. Okay, I, can I stop for yeah, a second here, Because sure, yeah. I want to ask the question. Great. When you ask a real question, like yep. um, what happened, what about when you know in your head that the your, your son or daughter stayed up till 1 in the morning, Saturday was 10 hours of video games, and the test didn't go well, so inside your head's brewing. Right. Now, and here's what's wrong with that. We assume... That we know the answer. I, uh, one of my um, PhD um, professors said to us in a class of like half a dozen of us who are in the PhD program, he said, what's the most important attribute of a counselor? And people said their wisdom, their experience, blah, 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 blah. He said, nope, the most important thing for a counselor is to be ignorant and to use their ignorance. And then he looked to me and he said, Glenn, that's why I think you're going to be so good at this, which is, uh, Yeah. Thank you very much. So, um, but what he means is this. If my friend says to me, hey, I say to my friend, hey, how are you doing? I'm having kind of a tough day. And I say, oh, I know what you mean. That conversation just ended and it never even started. And I probably don't know what they mean. Right. Right? <laughs> or have a clue. Right, exactly. Or if they say I'm having kind of a tough day and I assume I don't know what that means, I say, oh, what happened? Just like I would say to that kid. And I'm going to find out, oh, this thing happened that had nothing to do with anything I knew about. So, same thing's going to happen here. Even if I think I know why, I have to assume that I'm ignorant. And the blessing is I will find out almost every single time that I was ignorant. So um, so I'm going to say to the kid, oh, what happened? Oh, the teacher passed out the tests, and, um, and I was looking in the wrong place, or I got them in the wrong order, or I misunderstood what she was saying, and I wrote down the wrong stuff, or who knows what. I'm, I'm going to find out something happened that had nothing to do with what I was thinking. Um, so... And I have to start with the assumption that that's probably true. Even if I'm right about what they say, I still want to ask the question, and I still want to assume I don't know. Because as soon as I assume that I know, really see the conversation over. Hey, how's your date? Not very good. Oh, I know what you mean. Well, that conversation just ended, right? 
Yeah, they did bad on my math test. I knew you would. You didn't even study last night. Oh, boy. See, that conversation just ended, right? The whole yeah. thing about being a team, figuring something out, coming up with a strategy, none of that's going to happen because the conversation just stopped. So even if you think you're right, and even if you had all that judgmental stuff going on inside of you, <laughs> that's the accuser. See, you're either accusing you or accusing them. You watch video games. You didn't study. You didn't. I just want you to hear how accusing that tone even sounds. I mean, that is literally the accusing voice. So, um, so we'll come back to that in just a second. But it's just important to understand, I have to ask questions that are real questions. And even if I have a big bias about it, I have to let God help me set that aside. Remember how much I love that kid, how much I really want to understand, and ask a caring, simple question. Because mm-hmm. real questions, they, they continue the dialogue. Exactly. Right. And that's, that's what exactly you want right. is dialogue, right? right? Exactly. Because how do you get to know Jesus, somebody if you keep cutting off the conversation? Yeah. Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So what are you guys talking about? Uh-huh, exactly. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. Led to a real conversation, a it real dialogue. so did. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's take one more break. Dr. All Glenn right. Pickering is my guest. And you can go to glennpickering.com and learn more about Glenn. We'll be right back. If you have a question or a comment or something you'd like clarified, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Fundamental truths are simple. Simple doesn't mean easy. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. I was thinking during the break, Glenn, I was thinking of something as simple or fundamental as someone might say, I'd like to lose some weight. And you go, well, that's pretty simple. Diet and exercise. Absolutely. And Simple doesn't mean easy. No, for the same reason we've been talking about. Because if I'm going to do that simple thing, which I know is true, I'm going to run right into whatever lies I've told myself that have kept me trapped so far. I'm going to find mm-hmm. out oh, what I really believe is, well, I've always been fat. That's just the way I am. I've tried stuff before, but it never really worked. And I'm going to notice every single lie that I've gone in my head that keeps me from taking action. I, I, every single time. It literally doesn't matter what simple truth I try to employ. If I haven't been doing it up till now, what I notice is as soon as I decide I want to do it is I will notice every single lie that kept me trapped so far. And mm-hmm. our process is to find ways to overcome that accusing voice in the back of our head and listen for God's voice instead, of course, which yeah. takes three or four seconds because the fastest thing to come to our brain is the accuser. Yeah, no kidding. So we're talking about the plan. Right. Um, and it's an acronym uh, for the word equip. And right. so far, E stands for empathy and Q right. is for questions. Right, real and questions. Let's move, yeah. on. let's move on to you. Okay, understanding. So if my kid says, oh, Dad, this terrible thing happened to me in junior high today. I say, oh, what a bummer. What happened exactly? And they're going to tell me. And then I'm going to tell them a story from my life that shows that I get it. And I'm going to talk about that a little more in a second. But just um, like, oh, yeah, something like that happened to me when I was that age, too. You know, and I tried this and that didn't work. I tried this, that didn't work. But then I tried this. That was actually, that worked pretty well. Well, thanks, Dad. 
So I'm just going to share a similar struggle I've had. Now, sometimes people say, well, Glenn, what if I haven't had a similar struggle? But here's the really great thing. We're all on exactly the same journey. We all have exactly the same lessons to learn, and we all go through exactly the same struggles in the process of learning them. I promise you that that's true. So, um, you know, I've done a lot of work over the years with the guys who are coming out of sex addiction, and people, they often would say, well, Glenn, how do, you, how do you understand what happened to me? I mean, you don't go pick up prostitutes all the time. And I think, yep, I don't do that. But I understand the need for connection. I understand how badly you want to be connected to somebody. I understand what it's like to feel like I don't know how to do that. I understand what it's like to take the simple route instead of the route that actually works better just because that's easier. I mean, I understand all the different steps that got you there in the first place. Not from that particular situation, but I've faced very similar temptations, slightly different details, very similar struggle. How do I do what's actually best for me instead of just settling for the easier way that I know how to do already? So mm-hmm. somewhere in there, there's going to be some simple little story that I can tell my kid or my friend or my wife or whoever I'm talking to, but I'm especially talking about parenting now. Oh, what a bummer. What happened exactly? And they're going to tell me, and I'm going to say, you know, something a lot like that happened to me too. And I'm going to tell them what happened to me. Now, notice, in two or three sentences, you know, you've heard me say this before about how... Um, I was talking to this little five-year-old, and I said, oh, I ran into my Uncle Bob the other day. And the five-year-old says, I know a guy named Bob. Just yesterday, he was in my class. <laughs> he's going to take that little similarity and run with it, and he's going to have his own conversation. <laughs> so we want to let the person we're talking to, especially if it's a kid, know, hey, I'm just trying to share my example so you can see I understand. So I'm going to say in two or three sentences, yeah, something like that happened to me when I was in junior high, too, and it's really embarrassing. I might say only that much or some, something that just shows I get it, and then I want to get back to them. It, yeah, and, I'm glad you said that, Glenn, because yeah. it is a fine line. You can't oh, start yeah. listening autobiographically and start right, making exactly. it about you. I had this great counseling professor in seminary who said, um, I can give any answer that you could do in a paragraph, and that's a helpful picture for me. If it would take me more than one paragraph to tell that story, that's too long of a story. Mm-hmm. So two sentences, three sentences, maybe four, then I, I need to really be done. Now, so that's the understanding. I'm going to share an example from my life so you can tell that I get what it's like to be in that situation. Then there's the I for equip. And here's what I learned. Again, short. Um, so for example, my daughter was kind of lost her friendship because she got really sarcastic with somebody that she just met. And I said... And I know how that, I said, yep, that is a bummer. Asked a couple of questions, make sure I understood. And I said, you know, actually something a lot like that happened to me when I was about your age. And I lost a friend because I was too sarcastic. And one of the things I learned in that is that I can be sarcastic, but people know me already because they get that I'm just teasing them. But if I just met somebody and they don't know that, they're probably going to take it really personally. Done. I'm done. I, I understand. Here's what I learned. Now, notice that I don't then say, so here's what you should do. No, I'm going to say what I learned, and then I'm going to stop talking. Now, here's the cool thing, because then they won't feel bossed around, which is helpful. But it also, um, it connects us, because remember, we have similar struggles, similar lessons we're going through, and it's super helpful for my kid, or other people in my life, but especially my kid, to know that I get them, that I've actually been through similar struggles. It makes me more real to them. My daughter once said to me, she was like 13 or 14, she looked sort of sad one day when we were driving in the car someplace, and I said, what's wrong? She said, well, nothing's really wrong. She said, but, you know, I just really like spending time with you. And I said, great, still didn't know why she was sad. And she said, I think I'm the only girl I know who actually knows her dad. And oh, wow. I know, it's so sweet, but sad too at the same time, because I get it. Because she, get, I mean, I'm willing to talk about, 
Yep, went through that. Here's what I learned. That's what I think real humility looks like. I'm not dumping on myself. I'm not talking like I'm a terrible person. I'm just saying I've been through a similar situation. I made similar mistakes. Here's what I learned. And there's a humility to that with no judgment that helps them connect to us. And I just think that's a powerful thing. And then finally, as the, um, or it actually should be equips, I just realized, but we can do it however we want. Um, after I shared my personal example, which I see on my outline, I forgot to put that, so my apologies to everybody who downloaded the outline. Because <laughs> it should actually say equips, not equip, because there should be an S at the end, which means stop talking. Because <laughs> it's really important to think, okay, so, so here's what I did. So what you should do is, no, no, I just wrecked everything I set up until now. It's so important to say, I get it, I feel for you, been there, here's what I learned. And then to resist everything that says that I now have to tell my kid what to do. I need to understand I've just done what I need to do, and now I need to stop talking. So I'm going to say something like, so does that make sense to you, or what are you thinking, or anything that shows I'm handing the conversation back to you. So I gave you three sentences about a similar experience, one or two sentences about a lesson I learned, and I specifically stopped talking and handed the conversation back to you. Like, so what do you think, or does that make sense to you, or is that helpful, or what? I'm just going to ask any question that helps them know, okay, now it's back to you. I might even just say, so that's what I learned, and then look at them like I'm done talking and now it's your turn. Anything that lets them know I'm done now because for two reasons. So they know I'm not trying to take over the conversation. And so because there's a part of them that's worried that now they're going to get the big lecture of what they should do, and, <laughs> and they'll be so relieved to find out that's not coming. And so will your husband, wife, or a colleague. But a kid will especially think that. So when you stop talking, mm-hmm. that must require some discipline because yes, sometimes when people are in pain or, or they're suffering, right. you want to try to bring anything that you can to the table to yep. try to make something better. Uh, at least that's an instinct that I have, and yep. I'm sure others do as well. Yep. More that, words might be better. You're looking for the right thing, that the right piece of pasta that's going to stick to the wall. Exactly. Because they're, they're suffering. Yep, exactly. And we want so bad to fix it. But see, again, that's the accuser. I have to know, God says, Glenn, share your story, share what you've learned, stop talking. That's a great sermon. Any sermon is, here's what I learned, here's what happened to me, and here's what I learned. Stop talking. And because um, the accuser says, I have to tell them what to do, because the accuser says, they're not smart enough, they're not bright enough, they won't apply this, they won't listen to you, they're going to blow you off. See, the accuser is saying all kinds of bad things about me and about them, and I have to replace that with God's truth and say, nope. Here's how Jesus taught. People asked him a question. He told them the answer as best he could, and he stopped talking. So we need to let people then back to them to use that information as they choose or not. Mm-hmm. So you stop talking, and then nothing is said for a while. Then who goes next? <laughs> then I'm just going to simply say, so what are you thinking? Okay. Simple. Just, again, just let them know I'm still here, and it's kind of gone your, It's kind of your turn now. Yeah, and you're handing the conversation back to them. Exactly. Now, one thing I want to just say before we go is I love EQUIP as an acronym for this reason. You know, you've heard me say before on the air about how when my daughter was born, my pastor said this great thing to me about how, okay, Glenn, now you have to decide whether you're going to raise an obedient child or a responsible adult. And see, it's not our job to tell them what to do because then they grow up and they still don't know what to do until somebody else tells them. I have not equipped them for the world. 
But see, if I'm willing to do this thing where I listen, ask questions, share examples from my life and what I learned to stop talking, they will learn. They will figure out how to apply that to life. They will be equipped for life. But if I'm just always telling them what to do, they're not. And I've ended up raising an obedient child. And it's really, really, really not helpful. It's easier. It's super tempting. It's not helpful to the kid. Yeah, Glenn, great reminder that life's fundamental truths are simple. They're just not easy. So <laughs> well, they're super reminder. challenging. Right? And, I, and I love the EQUIP acronym. Mm-hmm. I'm going to study that and get all that down in my head. So all right, I can good have A tool which what I can refer to when there's those opportunities where... You need to give empathy, ask real questions, show understanding, tell them what you learned, and stop talking. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show. Great oh, to have thanks you. Thanks for having me. I love being on the yep. show. Thanks. Yep. Dr. Glenn Pickering has been my guest. If you can head to his website, it's glennpickering.com. You can, uh, by midway down the page, there's a lovely invitation for you to have a complimentary 20-minute conversation with him. All you have to do is fill out a form, he'll get in touch with you, and there's no strings attached. It's quite lovely. So thanks to Guys Talk and thanks to Glenn Pickering for a wonderful show. I hope you've had a great day. Thank you for making this show part of your day. And I'm looking forward to our time tomorrow. If you lay your head on the pillow tonight, just be reminded that God has you in the palm of his hand. And he loves you and I do too. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.